Why robots are the hot technology right now? How are businesses planning to spend money this year? And some important earnings reports shed light on the economic recovery. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Aptian is a global provider of mission-critical, industry-specific logistics and transportation management solutions. Aptian Routing and Scheduling delivers the most advanced transportation management systems to world-leading brands, helping to drive operational success, reduce transportation costs by up to 30%, while optimizing delivery routes to meet rising customer expectations. For more information, visit Aptian.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, how have robotic systems become the hot ticket for distribution? To look at that, here's Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thank you, Dave. Yes, our guest today is Dwight Klappick of Gartner. Dwight is Research Vice President and Gartner Fellow. We asked him here to talk with us today about some recent research he conducted on robotic goods-to-person material handling technology and how it is expected to grow over the next couple of years. Welcome, Dwight. Well, good afternoon. Thanks for the time. So I just wanted to say and start out by saying this research is part of a recent Gartner report on supply chain technology predictions for this year. In it, you note that demand for robotic goods to person systems will quadruple through 2023, largely to help enforce social distancing in warehouses and distribution centers. First off, how do you describe or define robotic goods to person systems and what specific advantages does the technology deliver when it comes to health and social distancing? Well. First off, I mean, I think there's, if you talk to companies, there's different ways that they could approach social distancing. Uh, we look at some of those as being a bit draconian and invasive, you know, basically the continuous tracking of employees, every movement, every era, who they socialize with or whatever. You know, historically, you know, that's not been a particularly appealing to labor groups, labor unions and, and the like. Um, because it's 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 tough, you know, to think that you're being monitored with everything that you do all day long. But it is a way to potentially uh, address social distancing. What we believe is that the goods to person systems is a less draconian way to do that, because what you do is you put the people in one place and you allow robots to then move goods around, which allows you to you could put people every 10 feet allow the robots to deliver the goods to the people. You've now enforced social distancing without tracking them 24 by seven. Uh, and then it also adds some additional benefits, you know, from a, you know, pandemic, it's easier to clean. You know, if you feel like you need to clean the workstations, you can do that versus, hey, people wandering around a, you know, half a million square foot warehouse, much more difficult. So. So, you know, that's that's why we thought that uh, the pandemic is going to help uh, fuel, um, you know, demand for goods to person system because it's a, a fairly inexpensive, easy way to get there and is going to be more appealing to most uh, labor groups. 
you know, what other factors are driving demand for goods to person systems at this time? We've seen, you know, an accelerated demand for technology in general, but what other, what other things are you seeing here? Well, that's a great question because what's interesting is goods to person technologies are not new. I mean, many people might remember that Amazon bought a company, um, you know, Kiva back in 2012, and that was one of the first uh, kind of robotic goods to person systems. There's been other forms of goods to person systems. Um, so there's, there's strong value in goods to person systems, irrespective of the pandemic. It's just that the pandemic became that additional kind of nudge to kind of move people in this direction. So you know, what do they do? I mean, uh, they improve productivity um, by you know, reducing the amount of travel that the humans do, or let the robots um, you know, do the movement of the goods versus you know, people walking. Uh, that adds a secondary benefit, which is beneficial to the humans. Um, for example, I was speaking to one of our clients uh, a while back, and they said that their average person's walking seven miles a day in their warehouse today, which, let's be honest, I mean, it's good for your health, but it's exhausting to think every single day that's what your, your lot in life. I mean, so the, the robots, in addition to, you know, improving productivity in general, you know, are also making it a more uh, appealing work environment. Uh, for many people. So the pandemic is just really, you know, uh, lighting the match to something that was already started. And that's why we think it's going to accelerate demand. Uh, but I think that demand is going to be sustainable, you know, once the pandemic's gone. You mentioned a minute ago, um, you know, sort of the ease of implementation and sort of affordability of, of robotic goods to person systems. I wondered if you could um, elaborate on that a bit. I wonder, you know, if, it's, if this is something that may surprise some companies who think of new technology as really complex and costly. Well, I think one thing we have to be cautious of, and I, I actually agree with that, but I just want to want to um, you know, kind of qualify that is there are different styles of goods to person systems. Uh, some are more costly and there's more uh, that has to go into this. Um, you know, these might be, you know, shuttle systems like a Canap, an auto store, or other systems like that, that would fit what we call engineered systems. They have huge value. There's hundreds of people using that. There's still a lot of value there. Yes, more costly, a little harder to design. Some of the advantage of those systems is, you know, high density of storage, speed, and some of those, you know, the goods to the robotic goods to person systems that we are speaking of here, uh, you know, their genesis does go back to uh, Kiva, and there are certain, you know, solutions now that uh, uh, look a lot like the Kiva solution. And why they're fairly inexpensive is there's not a lot of infrastructure cost. You know, I can introduce those systems for fairly low capital cost. I can I can introduce, uh, you know, a solution in just one part of my warehouse and continue to run the rest of my warehouse the way I used to. Um, I can I don't have to spend a lot of money on conveyors and other types of technologies. Um, so I can start small, grow with it. Uh, my upfront cost is less. My time to value is less. Um, so, I mean, all those things kind of favor some of these robotic goods to person. So these are the, the gray oranges of the world, the, the geek pluses, um, and, and some others. 
Uh, so my upfront cost is, is significantly less. And then even some of them are doing robot as a service, which makes it more of an operating expense than a, and a big uh, upfront capital expense. And then clearly there's some in systems integration that has to be done, but that again is not, you know, we're not talking two year projects to do some of that. So, so that's why it's a fairly low, um, uh, low cost, uh, rapid time to value type of solution. Right. Thank you. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, along those lines, you know, what are some of the first steps they may want to take? Well, I mean, in any of the robotic or mobile robot solutions, I think one of the first things they need to look at, um, because it's going to be one of the major advantages, is uh, travel time. Uh, travel is basically wasted time in any uh, warehouse environment. So anything you can do to shift that from, you know, humans to, you know, robots or other forms of equipment has a huge uh, benefit. Now that might sound like there's going to be millions of people unemployed, but the reality is that most logistics organizations have been struggling to get enough people over the last couple of years. So it's not so much to use this technology to replace people, it's to use this technology to uh, supplement the people, allow them to get the same amount of work done with the same or fewer people, uh, let the people do what the people are good at, let the robots do what they're good at. So travel is certainly one of the first you know, target areas for any of the robotic systems. I think in the goods to person systems, then you say from an e-com or individual item picking, you know, how can I, you know, actually, you know, improve the throughput, improve the efficiency of those processes by, you know, uh, keeping the person in one place and then letting the robots not only just move goods, but to kind of synchronize the activities that I might be moving uh, multiple things to, to actually fulfill multiple orders, but instead of the person having to wander around that takes time and is less efficient now i can actually get more throughput because i'm kind of letting the robots kind of queue things up and stage things and organize things in a much more efficient way um, so i think those are some of the key targets of some of these uh, types of solutions so i would look at my operations there i'd look at you know uh you know what my facilities look like certainly that's going to be both potentially a positive and and a constraint you know does my facility you know allow me to do something like this will i use my facility efficiently enough um but i haven't seen that become the the only thing that keeps someone from moving in the direction of some of this technology i also wanted to ask the the broader research um that, that your work was part of noted that i think it was six in ten companies are investing or have already invested in digital supply chain strategies and 72 percent see technology in general as a competitive advantage sort of um, following up on, on a point we talked about earlier how much has the pandemic accelerated these views and actions sort of this idea that you know technology is kind of where i need to be focused well i probably shouldn't kind of tell you where the data comes from. So Gardner's run a study, we call it Supply Chain Management Technology User Wants and Needs Study uh, for 14 years now, where uh, we've been asking supply chain professionals uh, questions about their strategies, investment goals, and drivers uh, around technology. Now I emphasize the focus on the end user, 
Um, not that we don't want to talk to the IT people. We, of course, talk to IT people. But there are certain things like this question about is technology a source of competitive advantage? Uh, we wanted to see would the business users see it the same way that IT. We thought that there might be some bias from IT going, that's their life, right? They live IT, so they might see it. Uh, what was important here is that the business users also see IT as a, a significant uh, contributor to competitive advantage. And so uh, that's why we see you know, this, this level of investment in digital technologies, because they know that to keep pace, you know, in, in, in the retail world and even outside the retail world, you know, what do you hear all the time? It's the Amazon effect. You know, I, I, I can't, you know, you know, invest the same way Amazon can, but what can I do to at least keep pace with, with Amazon or, you know, in other markets or there are other, um, you know, uh, companies that people would say, I, I just, you know, I have to stay competitive. So it's, it's a, they're looking at the technology. You know, is the pandemic accelerating this? The, the pandemic accelerated some of this in some areas because companies had to figure out how do we survive given the, the, the constraints that, that the pandemic put on them. So like this whole conversation about the robots, was, you know, hey, my e-com business is growing right now. Uh, I have to do something now that's going to allow me to uh, kind of scale up and grow that business. And oh, by the way, I'm starting to have issues, uh, even more issues with my labor because people might test positive and not be able to come to work or, you know, other factors. Uh, and so that was the impetus to drive, you know, some of the investment in technology. But again, while it's the impetus right this now, I think that's just, you know, fueling this, but I don't think it's going to stop post-pandemic. And the same thing with other emerging technologies. I think we've seen some of those driven in the short term by the pandemic, but certainly there's sustainability in that. Yeah, no, that makes sense too. Um, we've covered a lot here. I wanted to just close out by asking if there's anything else, any other key points about this, you know, most recent search research you'd like to mention. Well, I think what's interesting um, in that same study we just uh, referenced is that, um, and we've seen this for the the 14 years of the study. One of the questions we ask is, you know, technology adoption. And we ask a separate question about what your risk culture is, um, because that kind of gives us a flavor for where a certain organization uh, might focus when they're looking at investing in technologies. And so from a kind of technology adoption, many people have heard about early adopters, mainstream, conservative adopters. We've seen kind of consistently throughout the life of the study about 20% of companies, you know, 18 to 22, average of that at around 20, are early adopters of technology. And when you look at that, there's these are also the companies that have the most risk-tolerant cultures. And in fact, you know, uh, taking intelligent risk is actually encouraged in some of these, we call these risk exploiters, that they see risk as an opportunity for them to, again, gain competitive advantage. Uh, so they will be the ones that go out and they will take raw technology like, you know, they'll go buy 
you know, raw technology building blocks like an IoT platform or, uh, you know, an AI platform, and then they'll build something around that. Um, but they have that culture that can say, hey, we'll go out and do that. But if it fails, it fails. We, we tried. Um, the reality is most companies aren't there. Uh, the mainstream represents about 55% of the marketplace. And they tend to wait for uh, more package solutions. So it, there's a change in, in kind of the way companies look at that in that, you know, that A type company, that early adopters looks for an IoT platform and they might build a predictive maintenance system around it. The mainstream buyer is looking for predictive maintenance system that's enabled by IT, uh, I, you know, uh, AI or IoT or something like that. And the good news is that's where we're at now. We're starting to see some of these technologies that used to be fringe technologies, like AI is a good example, getting embedded inside packaged applications where that mainstream buyer is looking for business solution. Hey, I'm looking to drive more work through my warehouse, so I need much more sophisticated work management type of solutions. And that's been a hot area in warehousing, by the way. So, you know, vendors like Manhattan and their order stream or Blue Yonder and their Tasking or Independence like Red Pilot, Cognops. You know, it's 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 okay. We've got AI, but how do we use that to actually, you know, run a warehouse more effective? So that's really one of the exciting things in in supply chain, and particularly in my world of warehousing and fulfillment, is we are starting to see those. You know, I, I won't say they're 100% pack uh, packaged apps at this point in time, because they are still relatively new, but they are kind of you know pre-built solutions. And that's where then you start to see the hockey stick effect, okay? And that's when that 55% really jumps into the market. We're already starting to see some of that. So, so I think that was an interesting observation from the study. So we actually look in another area at 10 emerging technologies. And you can really see that as to where people are. So like robots is moving into that mainstream category. You know, they used to be kind of viewed as kind of, you know, kind of early adopter technology, but now, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's mainstream. And so we've seen a significant increase in just interest on the part of our customers in all things robotics um, because of that. Oh, great, thank you. It will be uh, interesting to see where all of this goes. Uh, Dwight, thank you for being here with us today. As I said earlier, we've been talking with Dwight Klappick of Gartner. So back to you, Dave. Thank you, Dwight and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Ben, you shared this week newly released earnings reports that show some reason for optimism. What did they say? That's right, Dave. Uh, often the uh, February is kind of a slow season after the, uh, the, the busyness of the holiday peak. Uh, but today is actually the start of the Lunar New Year, also known as Chinese New Year, as we move to the, from the year of the rat to the year of the ox. Uh, so th there's also uh, the quarterly earnings season. So it's actually a little bit busier than a, than a typical year for this time. Uh, but this week, we heard from two of the biggest players, the U.S. Postal Service and XPO Logistics, uh, and they both fared pretty well for the three months ending December 31st. Uh, again, that period included the winter holiday peak, of course, uh, so they had plenty of volume to handle. 
But it's still significant that they showed some improvement in terms of profitability as the country enters the early stages of getting vaccinations out. So the Postal Service actually showed a profit for that period, which they call their fiscal first quarter, making $318 million, which is significant because that has not happened for a long time over there uh, as the service continues to see sinking revenue from its largest sector, first-class mail, and that's offset to some degree by growing revenue uh, from parcel volumes uh, from all the e-commerce that that we're all buying. In fact, uh, just in November, the agency said that it had closed its first full year ever that it collected more revenue from parcels than from mail. So you can see there are a lot of changes happening over there. Uh, But the numbers certainly don't show that things have quite turned around at the agency yet because their quarterly results would actually have been a $650 million loss if they hadn't made a temporary surcharge on peak season package fees. So in fact, um, that they're not profitable overall on the year because they lost $9.2 billion uh, for their year that ended in November. So the post office is still planning to announce what they call a comprehensive restructuring and financial plan in the new year. We don't have details on that yet uh, to try to trim those losses. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have those details soon. Um, XPO is also planning some big changes in 2021, right? They sure are. Um, As our listeners might remember, XPO has grown over the years, largely through uh, a quick series of acquisitions, uh, including some uh, very large companies, Conway Freight and uh, Norbert Dontresongo in France. Uh, But they had recently announced that they're going to split the company into two parts, a contract warehousing logistics unit and a less than truckload and brokerage arm. So despite the pandemic and a big financial hit to their profits in the past year, uh, they said that they're moving ahead with that plan uh, to to spin off part of the company. Uh, So to be sure, XPO had a rotten year. Uh, They had net income of um, $117 compared to their profit of $440 the year before, about four times as much. But they were still profitable, and a lot of that was because of a strong fourth quarter. Uh, Through December 31st, they had their highest quarterly revenue for any quarter in the company's 10-year history. So... Uh, XPO now predicts that that momentum will carry into 2021. They issued an earnings target of $1.8 billion for the new year. Uh, that's way above their 2020 earnings, which was $1.0 billion. Uh, but it's also above uh, 2019. So the reason is that uh, XPO's founder and CEO, Brad Jacobs, said the company has what he called tailwinds at their back. And he was talking about industry trends like e-commerce fulfillment and returns, supply chain outsourcing, and customer demand uh, for XPO's new digital capabilities. Uh, again, those are industry-wide trends that he's talking about for the most part. So if Jacobs is right, then there could be some reason for optimism about logistics and transportation results at many companies in 2021. Certainly hope so, Ben. Thank you. And sticking with economic news, Victoria, you reported this week on the spending outlook for businesses. What can you tell us? Sure, Dave. Yes, happy to. Um, So businesses are showing steady improvement in their spending outlook as 2021 gets underway. This, of course, follows a sharp decline in the early days of the pandemic. All this is according to data from spend management technology vendor Coupa Software, which released its business spend index Q1 21 outlook this week. The outlook is based on data from the fourth quarter of 2020, and in it, researchers said business spend sentiment improved for the third straight quarter at the end of the year, and that the first quarter outlook calls for gradual improvement as well. To give you some details, um, their index grew almost 3% in Q4, but it remained below trend, the researchers said. The gist of it is that businesses are spending more on shipping, 
technology, and contract or project-based workers. So um, year over year, the index tracked a more than 12% increase in business spending for shipping and freight in the fourth quarter. That was bolstered by heightened global demand for e-commerce, healthcare, and consumer packaged goods industries, as we all saw, you know, people buying more and more from home. The index also noted a nearly 12% increase in business spending on technology and a nearly 23% increase on contingent workforce spending. So to me, this all seemed to echo some of the trends we've been tracking in logistics over the last several months. First of all, you know, the increase in shipping due to e-commerce, you know, also rising demand for technology, and also some of the labor issues we've tracked as logistics companies work to maintain staffing levels and implement new protocols for dealing with the pandemic. Did the data address any long-term trends? Yeah, well, not specifically, but they did note that businesses remain cautious about the global economic outlook. That's primarily due to the pandemic, as you'd expect. Um, but they also said that while their outlook shows moderate improvement overall, as I mentioned, it's still below trend and that a return to normal conditions is really unlikely until the virus is on the wane. Specifically, they said things uh, won't get back to, nor, uh, to trend until the number of new COVID-19 cases reported daily has been, um, you know, quote, significantly reduced. So, um, you know, speaking of how the pandemic has affected business, the report also, um, you know, pointed to some, some decreases and they tracked a 96% decrease in business spending on air travel and a 25% decrease in spending on office supplies year over year in Q4. None of that's really surprising, but I think it helps to put things um, into perspective. So it was a, an interesting look at um, some statistics as we start the new year. Yeah, and, and those two that you pointed out were definitely among the industries most affected by the pandemic. So let's hope that improves yeah. as we move through the year. Thank you, Victoria. Yeah. You're welcome. And we encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights of the news this week. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, thank you. And again, our thanks to Dwight Klappick of Gartner for being with us today. We encourage your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to rate this podcast if your podcast platform allows for that. We do appreciate your feedback. And as a reminder, Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Forged from decades of industry experience, Aptian routing and scheduling supports logistics and delivery fulfillment operations with the tools needed to master supply chain challenges, optimize route plans, and reduce fleet costs. Learn more about how Aptian can help you get ready to deliver operational success. You can go to aptian.com. We encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and Pandora, wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Logistics Matters to find us. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, when our guest will be Sean Winter of Descartes, who will discuss Super Peaks. We'll explain that all next week. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week. <music>